Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Nikki. Are you feeling okay? I'm feeling great. Oh, it's, it's glad. Great it's great day. to have you here, right here. <laughs> Thank at you. this time at the right time yes i had a moment you had, had a, a moment. moment today and uh i messed up on my scheduling and um but i you know i have great clients and they're yes. flexible and uh she was working with me and so that's, i'm here i'm that here. is perfect <laughs> it's just perfect yes uh and uh i'm i i'm very excited about our conversation today we're going to be talking about Gremlins. And I we have, I think, in fact, the perfect guest to talk to us about Gremlins. Uh, before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com to get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to our mailing list. And uh, we'll send you an email each time a new episode is released. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD. And if the show has ever touched you, if if it's ever helped you to change your life for the better, if you've ever found that you can uh, th- that you can approach the world in a different way because of the conversations that you've heard here uh, on the ADHD podcast, we invite you to consider supporting the show directly through Patreon. Patreon is listener supported podcasting. With just a few dollars a month, you can help to guarantee that we continue to grow the show, to add new features, and invest more heavily in our community. Visit patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast to learn more. Thanks for your support. Uh, Jane Massengill has been coaching adults with ADHD for the past 20 years, helping them to learn to put the brakes on their internal chatter long enough so that they can begin to experience their bright spots instead of focusing on their dark spots. She's the director of the aptly named Gremlin Taming Institute and speaks to audiences of all kinds on the benefits of learning how to listen to yourself. As a clinical social worker and master certified coach, we are thrilled to have her on the show today to talk about taming our gremlins. Jane, welcome to the ADHD podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Now, Jane, you are a, a, a wonderful person for joining us here. You and I have never met in person, uh, but we've, we have had technical conversations this morning. Uh, <laughs> but but you and Nikki, you guys, did you just meet at the uh, at the conference? Is that how you came across one another? years ago, we met each other uh, yeah. at the last ADHD, uh, 2017 ADHD conference. Uh, uh, at least that was my first recollection. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I actually took one of the sessions that she uh, led prior to that, but I had I didn't That's actually right. go and introduce myself. You know, I was, yeah, okay. I was shy, but I did buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> after, uh, after her session, I did buy the book, Taming Your Gremlins. And then I met, I think I actually, at that point in 2017, introduced myself. I came up, yeah. I did one of our, one of her sessions again and, uh, introduced myself and, and, um, that's, that's when we met. And then we saw each other at this last chat conference and had a great conversation. I was like, I want you on the show. Well, yeah, we should say, <laughs> if you guys have known each other for that long, then it's about time. Yeah. It's about time. It's about time. Right. And her That's message right. is perfect. It's so right on and so important for our listeners to hear. So outstanding. Well, let's yeah. talk about that. Nikki, how did this uh, how did this hit you? How did this conversation hit your calendar? Well, in particular, I would say that um, it, it's the it's the exercises, Jane, yeah. that you did in the different sessions that we had. And so she, her her sessions are very um 
audience, they participate, right? So you practice what she's teaching. And it's a lot about mindfulness and really paying attention um, to what's around you. And one of the things that I specifically remember in this in the session in 2017 is you had us look around the um, room. You just had us take a second to look around the room and notice stuff. And I remember huh. noticing a telephone on the wall and how weird that was. <laughs> there was a phone on the wall. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't have noticed that unless you were really taking the time to really pay attention. And and uh, she talks and she will today talk a lot about that internal dialogue that we have with ourselves. And um, as we know, you know, so many ADDers uh, have negative internal dialogues, you know, they really beat themselves up. And so if we can shed some light to make that be um, different and look more positive, then, you know, I think that's a really good thing to do. Well, and as somebody who's who you know trucks with ADHD myself, I, could, I you know I, I this is a, a an element of constant practice, right? I mean, it's something that you mm-hmm. just have to you have to constantly be with. And I th- th- sometimes uh, you know I find that the noise in my head, the chatter in my head, is is so loud I don't even know that it's negative, right? I, I can't I couldn't even tell you if there was an emotional component to it, knowing that it is. It's just in, invisible. It's just like busy, and yeah. um, and, and that can be you know. That can certainly hurt my worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am mm-hmm. I'm thrilled that you are here, Jane, to lead us through some, thank you, thank uh, you. some of these wow. things. Where would you like to start? First of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really I'm excited to be here, excited to be sharing some uh, stories and information with you guys. Uh, it's so true, Pete, what you just said is sometimes those that uh, those that inner conversation, that dialogue is so insidious that we don't even know that it's there. Yeah. Uh, and I think what excites me so much is really learning some solid techniques and having some solid tools to have to practice myself and to be able to share with other people. People, um, so that you can do something about when that when that first of all even notice that that conversation is showing up in the first place. Uh, it's interesting. I'm, I've been doing some work recently and just trying to get some clarity. You know, do um, first of all I have ADHD, and so do those of us that have ADHD. Do we really have this voice more than other people do? You know, or is it just something that everybody has and we just happen to be talking? I just happen to be talking about it, or we just happen to be talking about it oh, and that's noticing fascinating. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I started getting really curious and I, and I've gone, I went back and started thinking about my past career. So, um, I've actually been, um, I've been curious about, uh, for truly most of my, I think most of my life, I've just been curious about why do some people struggle and other people don't? Um, cause we've all been given this like amazing gift of this life. We've all equally been given this life. Um, and yet there are some people that have certain biological issues that, um, struggle more with those issues and other people who, who completely succeed despite their biology. Um, that just kind of fascinates me. It got me pretty curious. Um, like why do people with, uh, some people with ADHD struggle with a lot of their daily challenges and other people like, um, started researching a lot of famous people with ADHD. Why do people like Jim Carrey, Michael Phelps, how did, how do they push through that kind of, push through their challenges? They've both come out with, um, speaking openly about having ADHD as well as many others, but what makes them different? 
and and how can we learn from that? Um, and I propose that it has something to do with what you say to yourself and the words that you use and these inner conversations that are going on inside of me, inside of us. That is fascinating. I I just have to step back because of you. You bring up two names that are are close to me culturally, right? Jim Carrey oh. and and uh, Michael Phelps. Uh, you know, based on their own performance, I look at them as very serious and sort of cognitively adept people, cognitively aware. When you look at Michael Phelps and he's you know he's got the headphones on and he's planning. I mean, he is in his zone, and that is a zone in which I think many ADHDers don't often find themselves. Yeah, or maybe don't even know how to get there yeah, sometimes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, and I would also propose that it's because we've, um, uh, we've tattooed ourselves, we've, we've, con- we've conditioned ourselves to believe that maybe it's not even our, our gig. Maybe it's not even possible. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we can't because we have ADHD. Uh, and uh, so um, I want to challenge that, actually, because I there, there's no doubt in my mind. I've had so many experiences of watching people who've struggled with and without ADHD and some thrive and some don't. Um, in my days as a social worker, I first started as I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in social work. And when I first started getting started, I spent the first seven years of my career in hospitals and um, uh there, a lot of people had really varied circumstances going on then. Uh, I, mean, I just, I mean, a few cases. I had worked with a 40, I mean, I've worked with so many people, but a 41-year-old woman who had two small children, and she was literally in her last year of life with melanoma. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a father that I worked with who was grieving his, oh, this is killer, three-year-old um, son who he backed over and crushed with his backhoe. Um, I had a 13-year-old, yeah, um, that's supposed to be off, sorry, Um, a 13-year-old who was pregnant for a second time, um, uh, and both of those children were fathered by relatives. Um, I mean, just, you know, horrific life circumstances. And yet what, you know, and maybe it was a short-term nature of the work that I did with these because I was working in a hospital setting. So I didn't hear about the inner conversations that were going on. But what I witnessed is that they stayed so strong in the moment rather than focus on beating themselves up for being in the moment in the first place. So they really stayed present rather than bringing the past and in terms of being able to handle this situation that was going on right now, their focus was more on like, what do I need to do right now? And let me forget about everything that ever got me here. If I'm going to be able to manage what's going on right here, because when you start bringing in all that stuff about what's happened in the past and how you got here, you don't have the wherewithal. You don't have the gifts to access that you already have inside of you to deal with what's going on in the moment. I have a, I have an incredibly difficult time comparing any of my baggage and voices in history to some of the experiences that you just described. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and yet at the same point, I mean, some of the things that we get into with having ADHD, like um, one of my most, most painful client coaching clients was uh, uh, a young, uh, an older gentleman with ADHD and he really struggled with his finances um, and lost most of the money that he ever made and was so ashamed of that that he ended up taking his own life. Um, And 
uh, he, he had definitely had ADHD. He was tr- struggling with trying to work through it. And yet that shame, those conversations that were going on in his head were so prevalent. Um, and, he, and he had trouble sorting himself from it. They, he didn't know how to, he didn't know, he couldn't, he didn't choose to, or for whatever reason, uh, chose not to stay in the present moment and work with what was going on now. He brought all of that contaminated stuff from the past into the present. Um, I don't want that to ever happen to anybody, ever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so these little things, Pete, that um, they feel like sometimes little things in comparison to some of those issues that I just talked about from my early days in social work. Um, and yet it's all those little things that can add up. Um, a life is a life. So regardless of what gets in the way, it's still getting in the way of a life. And we all mm-hmm. equally have um, the responsibility to protect that gift as much as we choose to mm-hmm. power of choice. That's an interesting, you know, that, and I'm sure, I don't know if you're going to end up talking about that, but I was rereading some of the book yesterday just to kind uh, of, you yeah. know, remember yeah. what I was learning before and, you know, just kind of catch up. But there were a couple things that really stood out and the power of choice, um, but also finding joy inside of yourself. Mm. And I'll tell you that real, I had to reread that paragraph because Mm. that was a really interesting, um, concept that, you know, I think we all kind of know, but don't, we kind of expect that other things are going to make us happy. Other things are going to bring us joy. But the Mm -hmm. example that he used in the book was going out to dinner with his son and his (laughs) son was eating these barbecued ribs. And when he got done eating the barbecued ribs, he just had this like look of satisfaction and he was just smiling ear to ear because it was pure joy just from eating something he really, you know, really liked. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I don't know where that came from. But, well, we I lose mean, the joy in the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, that moment. That's really well. That's really, and that's really an important point, Nikki, because um, part of what we're going for when we're when I ask myself, okay, um, what is it that makes some people uh, survive in difficult circumstances, and some people have challenges? Part of it is coming back to that present moment and being able to um, connect with what's underneath the circumstances and the the life's breath that you're given. And it is so easy to take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's interesting, you know, um, first of all, I want, I want to say before we go any further, the book that you're, that we're referring to that you showed a picture of is, uh, was written over 35 years ago by Rick Carson. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's amazing. It was the only book that was ever required when I went through my coach training program 20 wow. years ago. And it's now been written in, I think, about 15 different languages, um, none of which, by the way, I think this, is, this always fascinates me for authors, none of which has, was initiated by the author, by Rick. It's just mm. organically yeah. other people that just said, you know, this should be in this language, in this language. And it's used all over the world with all sorts of organizations and companies and lots of coaches and therapists and um, substance abuse programs. So um, I'm just I'm, I feel so blessed to have uh, picked up that book uh, and, and let it guide me in so many ways. And um, I took Rick seriously when in the back of the book, he says, if you have questions, call me. Here's my phone number. And I opened that. That was a great part of being impulsive. I opened, you know, picked up the phone and called him and he answered and that from there we have had a great long collegial uh, relationship and a great friendship and I've just learned so much I'm so grateful to him for everything. Mm-hmm. 
That's, that's great. Brought to me. Yeah. One yeah. phone call yeah. changed kind One of the direction of where you were going with your coaching as well, I'm sure. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Another phone call that was actually really um, uh, pivotal in my life was, uh, again, this is kind of where that in- impulsiveness of your ADHD shows up. Uh, when I left hospital social work, I, was, I went into psychiatry. We moved from, I were moved from UMass Medical Center over to Fairfield, California. Picked up the phone book in the yellow pages because there wasn't an internet at that time. I'm sounding a little older. Uh, and called all the psychiatrists. And one new psychiatrist in town uh, um, interviewed me, brought me in, and I convinced him to hire me. And um, turns out that uh, it was Daniel Amen. I don't know if you guys yes. may know Daniel Amen. So um, we started working together. And uh, it was through his uh, I started doing all these evaluations. This was back in the early, in the late 80s, early 90s, when adult ADHD was just being considered as a DSM diagnosis. Uh, and it was also at the time when he started, shortly thereafter, started doing all these brain images. And he asked the whole um, staff to come in if they wanted to. Come on in, I'll give you brain, you know, let's, I need some brains, is what he said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need some normal brains, is what he said. So I thought, I don't know if you're going to get normal, but I want to see what my brain looks like. So, uh, so I went in and um, we both looked at my scan together and he went, hmm, I kind of didn't expect this from you. Uh, and I said, well, you know, tell me about this. He says, well, your prefrontal cortex isn't working quite like everybody, like it, like the uh, the typical brain that I was expecting because you look like you have it pretty together most of the time. And um, to me, it was like a light bulb went off because I was doing all these evaluations for uh, adults with ADHD thinking, come on, everybody's got this, you know, because it sounded so much like me. So I made that assumption, of course, that everybody had it. But um, when I saw my scan results, it really made sense that, uh, and the scan that I want to make, make it clear, the scan doesn't diagnose you, but it's the whole picture together. And um, at home, what, what Dan Amon didn't see is that I had lots of projects that were started and unfinished, and my desk was a, a shambles, and, uh, and I just didn't have a whole lot of patience with my kids. So um, I was really uh, blessed to have connected with him, worked with him for a dozen years, and um, uh, got into coaching, actually, mm-hmm. during the time I was also working with him. So, so I have a question for you because I want to circle back to when you were talking about being curious. Uh, it, you know, is it different? Is the internal dialogue different with ADDers versus somebody without ADHD? What did you find out? I think so. Well, here, here's what I found out is I think so because yeah. um, because we've we're being told our whole lives: sit down, shut up, don't move, sit still. You know, Sit still, um, clean up your messes, um, stop interrupting from very early ages. So every experience we have in our life, we create some ideas about who we are based on those experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's true for everybody. And what's also true is that when you have when, when you don't fit into the same box, especially in our in our school system, the way our school system's set up, you don't fit in the same box that everybody else does. So you're going to get, for the most part, and uh, you're going to get way more messages than the average child might receive. Mm-hmm. Again, diagnosed or not, it doesn't matter. Um, and so you start making up all these ideas about who you are, and those ideas actually may have nothing to do with who you truly are. So all of a sudden, this line becomes sort of blurry between who am I and uh, who am I really, and and what who, what are these um, what are people saying about me? 
And so we start mm-hmm. taking on that internal dialogue. Um, one example I can think of is when, I mean, again, these, these experiences start early. When I was six years old, first grade, I can remember having to come up in front of this. I talked a lot. Um, and I was very chatty. Uh, and I, I went to a Catholic school. Uh, I remember being pulled up in the front of the classroom. And Sister Laura, bless your heart now, um, would have me hold my lips shut. And she'd make me stand in front of the classroom, facing all my peers, holding my lips shut. Wow. So anywhere between one and five minutes of oh, public goodness. shaming. Yeah. Know? And, um, uh, you know, I was also probably pretty vain at that age. So I was I was equally as worried. I was shamed and I was equally as worried that the longer I did that, my lips were going to look like hers. And she had these big lips and I didn't like the way she looked either. Mm. So uh, anyway, I started faking that I was holding my lips. And if I could talk to her now, I'd say, Sister Laura, I get paid for talking. And, um, <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> that's right. And if I wanted big lips, I'll go to Botox. That's right. <laughs> anyway. So, yes, we do make a, I, I do believe that there's, there's truth to this, Nikki, that I do think that um, the dialogue is different for um, uh, adults with ADHD and for kids, too, which is why I'm such a big proponent of parents. Pay close attention to what you're saying to your kids, because whether you know it or not, these are all formative memories of things that they're going to take with them in terms of who they who they start believing that they are. Well, and that's the mm-hmm. curse of being a parent with ADHD, right, is that sometimes yeah. I find myself in ADHD understanding mode where I'm parenting with ADHD in mind. And sometimes I find that, you know, I'm I'm parenting normatively and yeah. uh, it's just because we're not in sync. And I find myself saying things that were said to me and I uh-huh. want to just slam my head in the car door. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just so right. I, I, I hear it as it comes out of my mouth. It's me so too. triggering. I know um, you want to just kind of pull them back. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's painful. It's painful. So, um, it's interesting. I just came when I came came back from the ADHD conference in um, St. Louis. Um, Russ Barkley spoke on adults uh, with with people with ADHD having shorter lifespans, and um, I didn't even want to go to that conference because I thought, why do I want to learn that I'm going to die earlier? But I'm glad. I'm really glad I went because he talks about conscientiousness, and one of the things that can increase your lifespan is being more conscious. I thought, perfect, being more aware, noticing more, paying more attention. And I thought, well, hang on a second, we have ADD. And so paying attention and, and, and being more aware, that's part of the challenge of, you know, our focus is all over the place. Um, I have been practicing simply noticing sort of the essence of gremlin taming now for about the last 20 years. And simply noticing is really, it is paying attention, <clears throat> but there's kind of a, you know, you're paying attention to a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, how can I help people simplify what it is to pay attention to? How can I take this this buzzword of mindfulness, awareness, um, simply noticing, and, and bring it down even more to help people have a simple place to start in the beginning? And so I started thinking about word watching, hmm. um, kind of like bird watching. You know, bird watching, when you're sitting in your bird watching, you're just sitting, you know, um, you're, you know, you're. You're just you're kind of looking specifically. Maybe you're looking for a specific bird, uh, or you might just be sitting on your porch, kind of going, "What's flying by?" You know, well, all day long those birds are flying by, whether you know it or not. You just haven't stopped long enough to really focus on them, to pay attention to them. And um, there are some uh, there, words are the same way. So it's helpful to be able to, so I want to play around a little bit today with doing some word watching. There's some certain words that I find that once you get underneath the words, you start 
understanding what are the habits, the behaviors, and the beliefs that we have about ourselves. Um, and uh, and then once you notice those things, then you can decide what do you want to do with them. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's coming down to the choice. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, and I want to say something about that before we do the the practice, because okay. I, you know, I know that there's this power of choice, but then at the same time, you say, so you say, you know, what is it that you want to do with it after you've paid, after you've noticed it? But I guess where I get stuck is how does a person stop believing what they have believed for so long? Great question. It goes back to that experience of joy that you talked about earlier, uh-huh. Nikki. So um, the first time I ever had my own experience of, of um, I, I mean, I'll go back to Pete, this insidious voice, it, uh, it used to be so connected to me that I didn't know the difference between the two. Uh, and I had a very powerful experience of being able to just sort out that, to be able to take that, con- that, that inner conversation and literally give it a picture, call it a gremlin, put it behind me, and then come back and have the same exact experience I just had, but only with that, um, behind, that you. behind yeah. me, it, separated from my body. And uh, I so you can't this. do that without the awareness because you have to be able to know it's there and separate it. Right, right, right. Okay. And the words are one way into that awareness. Right. So okay. it's kind of like there's this big thing of being aware. Well, what are we supposed to be aware of? You know, yeah. um, our words, our behaviors, our habits, um, inner conversations, physical experiences in our body. All of those are grist for the mill in terms of things that you can be aware of. But where to start? You know, if you sure. want to just take one super simple thing. And so I'm proposing start with your words. That's a mm-hmm. super simple thing that you can take. You know, listen to, do you hear yourself say the word, I can't, you know, or, um, or I should, or, um, you know, just some of the, some of the more uh, defining language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I felt, when I experienced myself without the gremlin in my body, I had this, um, there was such tremendous freedom. Uh, I mm-hmm. honestly felt like I was just being born again. Like here I, here I am. Holy crap! I'm there's a me inside of here without all this conversation. That's the fuel. That's the motivation. Um, it's not a decision because it's you don't need to cognitively decide that. You know, when you feel joy, when you feel f- happiness and freedom, you move. You naturally move toward it. Um, you don't have to decide. You know, if you were behind a barbed wire fence and somebody opened it up and you walk through, you don't have to ask yourself, you know, do I want to go through this today? Let me choose. Let me decide. Right. No, you're taking a run for it. Um, And that's the same thing Mm -hmm. with that inner freedom. It's already there, but we squish it with all these experiences that we've had based on, um, you know, being the square peg in a round hole or whatever Mm -hmm. that saying is. <laughs> Which I always yeah. get backwards. I know I do too. <laughs> That's great. So watch yeah. for those words. So those all or nothing words is yeah. something that people can start to pay attention to. Can, should, ought to. Yeah, words and then phrases like um, when I was a kid, my cousin would always say, "Oh, Jane, you're such a Jane." You know, when I do something goofy, oh. right? Uh, and she was goofing around, and yet when I got married, my husband said, "Wow, that's such a put down when you say it to yourself." Because I, I used to just automatically say it, um, and when I really started thinking about it, what I was saying, what the message underneath that was that I was making up was, "I'm stupid." 
Um, I'm never going to be good enough. Uh, why bother trying? You know, and mm-hmm. so simply paying attention and noticing those words, that that message, then I can decide, do I want to take that right now? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to put those words behind me or put them aside or or just choose to not interact with them? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly powerful. It really is. And I, I think I've already shared this story um, on the podcast. So forgive me, listeners, if you're listening to it again. But I think it's important. Um, my daughter was going to a gymnastics meet and she was in the car and she was talking about how she was nervous. She said, I'm really nervous um, about this. And I had just read something about when you say I am, whatever mm-hmm. comes afterwards is what you're focused on and it's what mm-hmm. you know is going to come to you. So I shared that with her. And I said, you know, when you say I am nervous, then when you go out there, that's what you're going to feel. So what's something else you can say that would be a different result? And so we came up with I am brave. I am courageous. Ah, I'm strong. Okay. You know, all of these things. And what was so great about it, Jane, is that she didn't make the scores that she needed to, Uh but she came out really proud of herself and really That's happy great. about her meat. That's you know? great. That's great. Yeah. So it That's is. Great. There's a so much power to that. I am are two really powerful words. Again, just listen to the words. Kind of like, okay, there's bird flying by. There's an I am word. Pay mm-hmm. attention to that I am word. I wear a bracelet every day of my life, it says, until now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when I catch myself in the middle of an I am statement um, and I catch anybody else in them, I usually, I, I will call us all on that, you know, and try those two little words until now I am nervous, you know, or until mm-hmm. now oh, I great. am that's not great. good at something. Yeah. I never it's, thought of that until now. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Until now. That's it a brings great... you back into the moment rather yes, than letting does. the past contaminate the present. Well, it's a exactly. great exercise yeah. because I feel like part of the thing of the insidious nature of the voices of the things in our head is that they yeah. are by their nature uh, sort of calorically exhausting. Right. Like yeah. it, there comes yeah. a time where you let the voices in because you're so tired of fighting them all the time. Mm-hmm. And these having a mnemonic, having some sort of a reminder, a physical, a tchotchke or something, your bracelet is yeah. it's so beautiful yeah. uh, to remind you to, to just stop. Just stop. We know yeah. you're going to be reminded, have to be reminded to stop. You live with ADHD. Just find something to remind you to stop and, yeah. and say something positive about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And don't ever stop trying. Don't get so comfortable with your own your own habits and yeah. rituals that don't serve you uh, because you've been given this incredible life that we all have. I mean, and what you choose to do with it is completely up to you. You know, why not do the best with it you possibly can, regardless of your struggles? Well, this this seems like a, a great uh, entree into an exercise. Do you want to lead us yeah. through, uh, through exercise. something practical yes. here? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what I want you, what I'd like all your viewers to do, and viewers, listeners, and the two of you also, is come up. I just want you to st- to think back for a moment on a time in your life where you're, and it could be yesterday, and it could be. 25, 40 years ago, um, a time in your life when something with your ADD kind of slipped you up, got in your way. Um, it could be a, an embarrassing moment, um, uh, a first grade talking too much, um, might be a deadline that you didn't miss that maybe you got in trouble for, um, maybe you interrupted somebody, uh, maybe you were late to something, 
you, you had to pay a bunch of late fees because you didn't pay some bills on time or you lost the property tax payment check, which was flipped behind my desk. Uh, <laughs> cost me a lot of money. <laughs> Um, you know, a time you passed up an opportunity because you didn't think you could you could handle it. Just think about one of those um, and write it down. I'm going to ask that you just come up with one and write it down. Just one or two sentences about it. Okay. Okay. The sound of writing is always exceptional podcasting. Okay. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> or typing, having the typing. Uh, right. yeah. there, you go. there you go. All right. And then I want you to ask yourself, and also write this down, what did you make up about yourself as a result of that incident? Remember, with every experience we have, we make up something about ourselves, good and bad. Okay. And then what do you do now or not do now because of that experience? Either a behavior or a belief or habit. And then I want you to go back through what you just wrote and underline or circle any words that you can watch for that are going to clue you into either your choice to follow through with a, a behavior that or pattern that doesn't fit you or to watch or to change that. So just look for any any clues for words that you would say that when you um, circle those words, underline those words that you can just watch for in your word watching process to help you become more aware of whether or not um, what you've uh, what you've made up about yourself works for you in this moment. Can you clarify that a little bit? Can you give me an example of the kinds of words I'm going to be looking for? Yes. So things like, um, oh, I'll go back to my situation with Sister Laura. So when she had me hold my lips shut, you know, what mm -hmm. I made up about myself is nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Um, so I, I need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. um, I spent many years being second fiddle, I would say, or not, or being hor just really afraid to stand up and talk in front of people, or not, or always feeling like what I had to say wasn't good enough, because I took that also from your such a Jane. Mm -hmm. um, so the words that uh, the words to pay that I pay attention to there are, are um, not good enough. Um, or okay. talking, talking, my voice, you know, you talk too much, I don't have a voice. Um, they might not even be, they may or may not show up specifically in what you physically wrote. They might be underneath that a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I pay close attention to um, my voice when I hear in my own mind saying, I don't have anything to say. Um, sometimes that is so subtle that I turn down opportunities because I think I don't, I'm not the one to talk about this. So, so do we so share? You, yeah, yes, please share. What'd you come up with? Yes, Nikki, go ahead. I can see your eager beaver over there. <laughs> I know, okay. Well, it's really interesting because when you asked the question, I know exactly what popped in my mind first. Okay, okay. Um, I was in college and um, I don't even remember the class or the professor. All I remember is him telling me that I needed to go to the writing center because my paper wasn't, um, it wasn't good enough. Oh, so it wasn't, okay. you know. Okay. formed correctly or I don't know but he told me to go to the writing center okay. and um, so with that it is always stuck with me that I'm not a very good writer okay okay um and when I do have to write I get I get stuck a lot okay like it, it there it always takes me a while to like get started because okay. I don't you know I I, I wonder if this is going to be good enough okay and then 
Pete, you know this. I almost always ask you to take whatever I've written and fluff it up. <laughs> is what I call it. <laughs> Put a spin on it, make it edit it. You know, I always ask somebody to edit my stuff. Okay. Um, for the most part, blog mm-hmm. posts not always, but but you know what I mean. So it's like I always kind of think there's this little voice that eh, I'm not a great writer, and so and then I think in my career, I decided to write less. I do less blogging and do more of my or have more of a focus on podcasting. Huh. because of that, because well, because of that old belief. I think it is in a sense that. I mean, I can't necessarily say oh, it's because it's that it's that professor said yeah. that to me, but I think it yeah. is that underlying belief that I don't write very well. I'm not going to get yeah. my point across. The conversation's not going to go where I want it to go. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the things for you to watch for in that, in terms of language, are what? Well, I think it's definitely saying that I'm not a good writer. Okay. Right. Because really, yeah. I mean. I could be a great writer. Yeah, yeah. Say that <laughs> I again. Know. Yeah, I could be a great writer, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think one of the words that I saw was feeling stuck. I don't have to feel stuck. I should be able uh, to just yeah. start writing. Uh, um, Pete, you've said this before for other writers. Just write. Doesn't matter what it is. Just start writing. Yeah. And I've thought about that sometimes when I do blog posts is just start putting the ideas, you know, on the paper and, and yeah. have it form. Yeah. Um, but I think getting stuck and and that I am a good writer okay. are the things that I have to Okay, great, great. And I guess I want to say one quick thing about that, too. You might choose to you you might have a preference, actually, to speak and to do blogs versus to write. Um, That might be a choice that you've um, that you've decided you want to follow that path instead of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's there's there's, that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And at some point, should somebody come along and say, hey, this is a person I know you respect highly and we need a two paragraph something written about this person. Would you be willing to do that? You don't want to ever box yourself in and, and with a belief that says you can't do something in this very moment that you want to or or you need to. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, But if somebody came and asked me to write a book, I'd say Uh no. Uh-huh. Because I did you that don't once. want to or because you think you can't? I did it and I hated it. It was <laughs> so okay. hard. So for people who are authors, I have so much respect for you because uh-huh. writing a book is so hard. It yeah. is really hard. And I know that's a total limiting belief. Yes, it's um, another concept. Yeah, It is a concept. And yeah. I probably need to work through that. So maybe I shouldn't <laughs> say that if somebody wants me to write a book, that's I would say no. Episode. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I'm kind of working this out right now as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) I have lots of issues around writing. I should probably go to therapy and talk about it. Until (laughs) now. Until now. (laughs) Until now. Yeah. Oh, you opened up a can of worms. (laughs) All right, Pete, we better shift to you before we do. Yeah, I I feel like we're coming off the rails. No, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, part of my career is in in video production. And uh, I ran into a client who uh, wanted some some very specific uh, heavy graphics intensive work and that's not a style uh, that I uh, 
uh, I do a lot of uh, of work in. I'm much more of a documentarian, and uh, I, I don't do a lot of building, sweeping, on-screen graphics, things like animations and things, and that's what they wanted. And uh, I found myself uh, in a place where it was just way too easy to delay, to take too long, to put myself in a bad light, because I was not fast enough or not good enough to do what they needed to be done. And uh, and as a result, you know, I found I just would stay away from clients who were asking from that for that kind of work. And and uh, the the sort of as I started thinking about it and writing about, it, I was realizing that you know what they were asking for was some inspiration from me as a creative professional, and what I was delivering was uninspired. And that's the that's the word that that okay. sort of stuck for me. And it's it's one of the, it's a yeah it I found that that's that's a hard thing and and the truth is i think if i really looking at it practically if i'm really watching those words and the other projects i've taken on it's not that i'm i i may not be as fast as some others but i can do the work i i just it puts me in it it turns my stomach into knots right i mean it's just hard i think i i whenever i think of those projects i go back to that one that yeah. still is over my head. Like I did that badly. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast yeah. enough. I'm yeah. uninspired. Go, hang on. Go back to that phrase. I can do the work. Okay. I, and say that again. Yeah. I can do the work. And I notice can do what the work. that feels like when you say that. Right. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. well, it's, it's and, appreciably different. I can do the work. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Feel that sense of freedom. Like mm-hmm. that somebody just opened the barbed wire gate for a minute. Yeah. You know, and you just you just need to stick your foot in it and squeeze through. Yeah, right. you still might not decide to go that direction, but that experience of well, I can do this. Yeah, you know, that's the piece. That's that place of joy. Like Nikki, you said, uh, I know I could write. I know I can. Yeah. it's the same thing. You could see it in you when you said it. It was mm-hmm. like this bang, that shift of something. Again, you might not choose to necessarily follow through with action. That, um, that, you know, your decision is not necessarily relevant. It's that experience of peace that we're all after on the inside, that sense of freedom, like to not tattoo yourself with ideas about who you are is incredibly freeing. Well, it is. It it, it feels like this is what uh, just writing it down and seeing the words. It's Mm. like a retroactive kind of continuity, right? I'm trying to change his change my experience of history a little bit to so that I can experience in a more sort of productive way. Uh, kind of fashion. Great. Really well said. When you bring things into the light, something as simple as watching your words and writing them down, something powerful about writing them down versus just saying them. Saying them is great too, but Mm -hmm. writing them down, I prefer it um, simply because it comes into black and white or red and blue. And you can then see, okay, what what do I want to make up? What what have I made up about myself based on these words? And is that what I want to do right now in this breath? Tomorrow you might want to, but you, you know, we get a redo every single breath. Yeah. You know, we breathe 34,000 times a day. That's a that's lot a, of breaths. That's a lot of breaths. That's a it lot is. of breaths. And if you yeah. think in every single breath we get a chance to redo, that's a big, that's a gift. Yeah. Don't take yeah. it lightly. Don't take it lightly. What so a wonderful little exercise. Is, um, you know, watch mm-hmm. your words. Yeah. Watch mm-hmm. your words and what's underneath them and um, choose what you want to do with that. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. beautiful. 
So one point that I just want to say that I think was really interesting is, Jane, you said it may not be what you wrote down. It may be underneath that. And I think that's a really good point, because at first we just look at what what did we write? What are we looking for? But we got it. We got to un or what is that? Um, Peel the layer. We have to peel the onion a little bit more to really see what's what's under there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's part of separating you from your voice, separating mm-hmm. you from the ideas about who you are, is digging mm-hmm. a little bit deeper so you can experience what's underneath it. And then you become in touch with the one who's doing that, the observer. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the power. Mm-hmm. This is such, uh, what a wonderful exercise, uh, Jane. Thank you so much for sharing You're this welcome. with us and, and running us through it. I, I I have some more writing to do uh, and a new model uh, through which to do it. Uh, share us, uh, we, we're wrapping up here, but um, share us a little bit. Where would you like people to go to learn more about you and your work? And and is there a way we can we can take this exercise and uh, would you be okay with us sharing it as like a PDF or do you have a PDF or something we could share it with? Uh, I with don't folks? have a PDF, but I can make one up for you uh, and, and send it your way, no doubt. Um, um, I would say the first thing to do is just keep a, a word journal. You know, keep mm-hmm. some kind of a journal. Um, I've called it a gre- for myself over the years. I've had a gremlin journal um, that entails a whole lot of a whole lot for me. The word journal seems super simple, just a quick, easy way in to start. So keep a word journal and just a uh, place okay. to kind of catch yourself with uh, your language. And where would you That's like great. people to go to learn more about um, you and your work? Yeah, thanks for asking. Come to my website, uh, janemassengill.com. Well, that's easy. easy. Simple. Easy way to find me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> JaneMassengill.com. I'm on Facebook. Uh, uh, also, uh, biz- I have a business page, Jane Massengill. Uh, so um, I'm a name you can trust. Just come by. Oh, awesome. listen to you. Thank you so much, Jane Massengill. Uh, we sure appreciate your time and attention today, as we do all of our listeners who have downloaded, all our Patreon supporters who've shown up for the live stream. Thank you, everybody, for your time and your attention. Until next week, uh, on behalf of Jane Massengill and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. Mm-hmm.